Hello, everyone, and welcome to Geoversive's Earth Intelligence Podcast. I'm Don Shelby. My co-host today, the familiar Joseph Robertson. He is the founder of Geoversive and is the executive director of Citizens Climate International. He is also the lead strategist for the Resilience Intel Climate Smart Finance Initiative. Our guest today is Dr. Sandra Guzman. She's an international specialist in low-carbon development and climate finance. She's the former General Director of Climate Change Policies at the Ministry of Environment and Natural Resources in Mexico. She's the founder of International Alliances at the Climate Finance Group for Latin America and the Caribbean. She took her PhD in politics at the University of York in the UK, her Master's on Environmental Policy and Regulation at the London School of Economics and Political Science, and a Diploma on Sustainable Finance at Oxford. She is a leading voice on climate-related finance and policy design in the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. Dr. Guzman, welcome to Earth Intelligence. Hi, Don. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. It's good to have you. I'd like to begin with something that stood out for me in your work. You're dedicated to a realignment of the financial world as it takes into account climate change. Will you expand on the word realignment? For the work that we do, we see the alignment going from point one to point V. We know that nowadays the financial system has been heavily carbon intense, and it is very important to start thinking in how we are going to transform that system to take it to a more sustainable financial uh, system, generally speaking. And the point is, how can we get there? What's that pathway and how we are going to align the actions the policies, the regulation, and of course, the investments to achieve that transition. And this is precisely what the Paris Agreement is inviting us. Uh, The Paris Agreement uh, is talking about the necessity to make uh, the the financial flows consistent with that low carbon development and and resilient to to climate uh, impacts. And, And the key question is, how can we achieve that actual realignment towards a system that will help us to tackle climate change, but at the same time allow us to transit towards a more sustainable development. So when we talk about alignment and realignment is how can we create a pathway to achieve that transformation in, in, well, in the next years. Joe, you and Sandra are colleagues and have worked together on a number of issues, but you're also strong on the term climate smart finance. Is this what she's talking about? Is that what you are talking about? Climate smart finance is not only about reducing emissions and building resilience to climate shocks. It's also about supporting in the ways that the everyday economy works, the pattern of sustainable development that's going to make people's lives better across the board. If we don't solve the climate problem, it's going to be harder for us to achieve that. So climate smart finance is aware of that challenge and works on it. I wanted to ask, when we talk about sustainable development, I think a lot of people think that what we mean is environmental sustainability, and it's somehow apart from other human stories and interests. But is sustainable development something that can be focused only on the environment? Or does development in sustainable ways require that we achieve sustainable operations across all of the things that we do? Where, where do you see sustainable development on that spectrum? I think it's it's very important to probably go back to the definition of sustainable development because uh, what is proposing uh, this approach is the connection between the environmental protection, the social development, and the economic growth. And what sustainable development is proposing is that you can have 
all of these three things working together. In the past, we were probably growing economically, but obviously creating a lot of damage in the environment and creating, of course, lots of problems with the, with society in terms of exploitation of resources and, and all sort of different uh, impacts to the society. And what the sustainable development is trying to say is that, yeah, we can keep growing economically and create a better system for the society at the same time of protecting the environment. But I think it's very key what you just mentioned about the necessity to think not only in that reduction of emissions or the reduction of any other type of pollutant, but how we are going to actually transform development process or the development vision. Because when we talk about sustainable development, we also have to think about human rights, about equity. Sometimes we miss that part in the conversation and we tend to believe that sustainable development will create jobs immediately, but we, we still have to deal with some problems like poverty and other problems that are in the society. And what we have to include in this vision is how we are going to transform what we are doing now, daily uh, problems such as the hunger poverty and, and, and unemployment and all of these issues, how can we put that in this vision and, and work towards the creation of better a better world uh, considering the, the difference that exists today? And, and the, well, the sustainable development aims no, to connect these three pathways, uh, but obviously we have to bring the, the human and the rights perspective in the justice perspective as well. Dr. Guzman, the question that Joe raised was the disconnect on the term sustainability, a question of whether people who are in the financial sector are seeing sustainability only as a benefit to the environment. But is there ever a conversation in those rooms that you are attending in which you are trying to get the point across that sustainability is actually a concern for the financial sector itself, that if it does not adapt, it will be unsustainable, it will not be a great asset manager, it will not be a great financier, it will not be a great underwriter. That business can't stay in business, which is typically a term for sustainability. It cannot stay in business unless it does adapt. Yes, this is a very, very important point. I think nowadays the climate change has been recognized by the financial system as one of the major uh, threats and, and is recognizing that if we don't invest in transforming or reducing the impacts and the causes of climate change, the industries or certain industries won't be able to survive in the future. Of course, there is always this discussion about how deep the financial system is mainstreaming climate change in a real terms or to what extent they are using certain narratives to be part of the conversation. But definitely what the, um, what the sector is trying to do now is measuring this type of impacts to rethink what type of products, what type of investments, what type of, of changes they have to have in order to ensure the survival of, of different industries and therefore uh, to, to ensure that the financial system will be sustainable in the, in the future. This is a young conversation. In my point of view, is something that is more and more institutions, uh, financial institutions at the global level and at the national level are discussing these impacts and the specific activities that they should be doing 
now. Of course, I see that these major changes are not going to necessarily happen immediately. But for instance, the conversation about to what extent they should keep investing in places that will become stranded assets in some years. So in that sense, yes, it's part of the conversation, but I still believe that there is still a big lobby against this type of thinking. And there's still a, a lot of conversations about, for instance, how much fossil fuels we are going to have still in the next years and what's the why should we accelerate in the transition if we are going to have oil or gas or coal for another 50 years or, or more in certain countries. No, So I think the conversation is there, is starting to make noise, but I think we are in, in the point where we need to really regulate, starting to put some more obligations and not only voluntary agreements, which is what we have at the moment. And I think that's necessarily to accelerate this uh, mainstreaming of climate change in the financial system. The recent report that you put out, the Sustainable Finance Index, the result of this collaboration that you're leading, seems to highlight that there are differences in how different countries, different institutions are moving towards sustainable finance. The report includes a sustainable finance ranking. Can you say a little bit about what it takes to create common metrics where you can assess which country or institution is more sustainable in terms of finance? What what kind of evaluation has to happen? What kind of assessment? What kind of metrics do you use to get to a fair, common standard? I think it is important to mention a little bit of the motivation behind the Sustainable Finance Index. We have been listening around the world that many countries are increasing their investments on sustainable development, on in tackling climate change, and which is very positive. But for us, the key question was not only about okay, how much money are the countries investing, but also how in, in sustainable matters, but also how much are they investing in intensive in carbon intensive activities. And not only about the, the expenditure, but we also wanted to understand how much are the countries uh, depending or relying on fossil fuel uh, activities to generate revenue? And also what type of revenues are these countries having that are coming from, from sustainable sources? So we really wanted to have a picture of how much is coming from sustainable sources and how much are they expending in carbon intensive activities. And then we, we come with this metrics to, to really try to estimate what are the levels of, of sustainable finance in, in these countries. We applied this index in the 21 major greenhouse gases emitters uh, in Latin America and the Caribbean. And we found out so, some things that are really interesting and, and relevant for to understand why some countries are not uh, tackling climate change and it's because they still rely a lot on, on fossil fuels to generate the revenue. Therefore, for these economies, it's not necessarily um, possible or it's not in their interest to, to really reduce a, or transit from a fossil fuels energy system towards a more renewable energy system. Because for, for them, the, the industry of fossil fuels is extremely important to, to generate these revenues to then have budget to spend in whatever they need at the at the national level. So what we were trying to do, what we are uh, analyzing is how can we really start changing not only the narrative, but how we are going to really start changing structurally 
the economic system in developing countries. For many years, these economies rely on fossil fuels, and now it's what type of incentives, what type of actions they need to create, for instance, to diversify their sources of income, and therefore, how can we decarbonize the public finance system in all of these countries? And at the same time, how can we create an architecture that will help us for, on this hand, to decarbonize the, the, the public finance system, and on the other hand, to increase investments to really create new industries, for instance, renewable energy industries at the local level where the, these economies can actually create a development of technology or innovation around these new industries or green industries, if you want to call it, and then based on that, generate new revenue that can help to, to not only pay for other activities, but also to generate new type of jobs and, and all of this. And of course, there is a lot of pressure uh, in, in the context of the pandemic. As you know, the key problem is that these economies, for instance, in the case of Mexico or Ecuador or Bolivia, that they rely a lot on, on fossil fuels. They, instead of transforming or trying to diversify, they are intensifying the use of these fossil fuels to complete or, or to increase the amount of money that they need to fulfill their needs. In this point, I just would like to add that another key problem in Latin America and in other regions is, of course, that many countries are relying a lot as well on international cooperation or no? international finance. How much money is going to come from developed countries to developing countries to fulfill those goals, for instance, the, the goals that countries have in their NDCs, and, and they are, ex, uh, you know, creating this expectation how much they can uh, bring from the Green Climate Fund or the other financial mechanisms or even the bilateral cooperation. And the truth is that even though there are, you know, like resources flowing from developed to developing countries, and even though we have more mechanisms at, at the international level. The truth is that the countries are not accessing to these resources in the same way. Uh, the major uh, recipients of this type of, of, of finance, for instance, in the case of, of Latin America, are Brazil, Colombia, Mexico, that are bigger economies. But if you go to the actual, if you analyze the actual needs, you will see that the smaller countries that are uh, highly or the most vulnerable in the region, they are not necessarily receiving the support as the bigger economies are doing. No? So with this uh, index, we are trying to, to provide evidence about the behavior of the finance uh, you know, uh, flows in, in the region and trying to identify those gaps, no? where we are, uh, how much do we need, and how can we cut that gaps? How can we transit towards some more sustainable systems without necessarily only relying on international resources, but how we are going to transform our financial systems to generate more revenue and to invest better in more and more uh, greener and sustainable industries? Dr. Guzman, part of the financial sector is already there because they have a fiduciary responsibility under law to protect their investors by making smart decisions on investments. But I'd like to ask what part of the financial world is dragging its feet or are opposed completely to realignment? The key problem is that there are certain uh, institutions that have a lot of 
investments on on fossil fuels and they are struggling in in really rethinking the type of strategies that they are going to develop for instance a lot of the work that we do is in the public finance uh, sectors, uh, understanding how the the public finance institutions work and what we see, for instance, uh, certain national development banks or certain actors that are being investing a lot on fossil fuels in, type, in terms of infrastructure or the other things are more reluctant to to start new conversations about new industries, new investments. This you can see different actors playing different roles in the whole in in a financial architecture. Um, so it's I I don't know if uh, there is a specific answer because there are thing there are different actors, but I think the the lobby the lobby of the uh, fossil fuels and um, particularly those that yeah, are investing a lot in gas and, and, and oil. It's very, very strong when when we come with the financial conversation. So I think it's it's a very tough question to to answer because it depends on what level are you are you talking about. Sandra, it sounds like revenue dependency is a real practical challenge in some places. And there is a real need to find the resources that can be used to invest in development for the benefit of people in their everyday lives. The Sustainable Finance Index looks at sustainable finance. It looks at sustainable budgeting. It looks at sustainable income. It seems like maybe the sustainable income is overlooked sometimes as one of the key pieces of this puzzle. Does sustainable income growth or generalized sustainable income across an economy, does that mean that there is more diversified economic opportunity, maybe expanded economic opportunity? And you said before the creation of new industries, potentially for governments that are dependent on fossil fuel revenues, does sustainable income growth or sustainable income across the whole economy as a major priority, does that hold the promise of an improved, expanded public finance situation for those countries? Yes, I definitely think that is a matter of balance and the creation of new ways to generate uh, revenue. It's going to be a key aspect for many developing countries not only in Latin America, but in Africa, in Asia, in how they are going to generate those uh, revenues. And in that sense, um, when we were including the sustainable income uh, part, we were trying to to look around the type of sources that are supporting the, the, the climate action at the national level. And, and we decided to include this international sources because, for instance, in, in Latin America, a lot of the action that happens around environment and climate change are being supported by the by the international cooperation or other international financial mechanisms. This means that the, the amount of money that the, the, the countries are generating around the, these issues, for instance, thanks to a carbon tax or or it's very little. And for instance, in Latin America, there are only four countries with carbon taxes and, and the rest of the countries are not necessarily generating this type of, of mechanisms to raise funds. So definitely, I think it, it is very important to start cleaning up the financial systems to ensure that these countries are going to have a, enough resources to invest in the priorities where Obviously, environment and climate change should be included. And as you can see in the, in the index, what we analyze is that none of, none of the countries spend 
more than 1% in sustainable activities out of the total budget, no? So none of them invest like more than 1% in, in, in sustainable activities. So that means that sustainable activities are not priorities in these countries. And, and this is a key, a key issue that we have to change if we want to transform the vision. We also have to move from a kind of shareholder perspective to a stakeholder perspective, where those who hope to earn from smart investments try to do that by serving not only their personal interests, but a, a broader spectrum of interests, society's interests, the interest of protecting nature. That if you could somehow do all of that, you would have not only a more inclusive model for designing development, but you'd actually have smarter development that's more efficient and effective. Is that part of what sustainable finance is? Is that why the ISCASU agreement is in this report? Yeah, absolutely. I think the key uh, discussion in uh, countries in Latin America and, of course, in other developing countries is how we are going to redefine the conception of development, uh, bringing nature and local societies to the, to the, to the conversation. Because, for instance, indigenous communities, as you know, is there is always this um, debate if we should or not include uh, communities' uh, rights into the conversation of financial mechanisms. But it's the type of discussions that are for certain people obvious and for others are not. And what we are saying is that we have to redefine and rethink very, very precisely what is going to happen with the investments that we are doing today, because whatever you invest today is going to have an impact tomorrow. And if we do not transform those investments today, we are going to replicate uh, what we are suffering at the moment, and we are not going to achieve those transformations. And of course, we are not going to achieve uh, environmental justice or climate justice. And so all the information about financial information related to the environment and climate change should be open and should be those decisions about where the countries should invest, how they are using their money. It's, it's something that should uh, include the perception and the perspective uh, and the participation of people. No, it, it is very important to start, you know, closing this perspective that the financial discussions are only for the financial institutions when we really have to start bringing people to the table and discuss how those investments should look like. And if we do not include people uh, and the human rights in this perspective, then we're just going to create new projects, new economies that are not going to really change the way that we are doing things. But for all of our listeners around the world, they're wondering, what can I do as an individual to help change the financial sector? People can participate in two different levels. The first level, it's, it's about the engagement in the national financial systems. And it's obviously directed to who do you want to see in the power and how do you ensure that that people in power are using in, in a more effective way the budget that the country has. Plenty of people um, believe that the engagement in budgets and all these financial conversation at the national level might not be the, the most interesting, but it's actually the core of the conversation because wherever the country is investing their budget, that is the priority. If the country is not investing in climate change or environment and they are investing 
for instance, um, a lot of money in, in fossil fuels, obviously that's the priority. So it is very important that people engage in these conversations. The, the legislative power, for instance, discuss every single year the budget uh, in, in each of the countries. So it's very important to be part of those conversations. And of course, in the other hand, it's, it's more about what you can do in a daily basis, because as I was saying, each dollar or whatever uh, currency you have that you invest today will have major impacts in the future. So where are you putting your money? You know, what type of uh, companies you are supporting? What type of businesses? What type of industries? And, and that's another question that we as consumers have to do as well. Like, where do I want to see my investments? Because those companies are the ones that are going to create a, a better change or a really worse pathway towards the future. We don't have time to lose, and, and it is very important to accelerate that alignment to the Paris Agreement and avoid an increase in, in, a, in the temperature of more, of more than 1.5 degrees. And this is urgent and, and is something that we can all promote and push in the different levels of, of our lives. Dr. Sandra Guzman has been our guest. Thank you very much for staying up late in Great Britain to be with us. Thank you so much, Don and Joseph. It is a pleasure to be with you, and and I hope uh, all our audience can also join to, to this transformation and, and keep uh, bringing their thoughts and, and actions to, to tackle climate change and achieve this sustainable development. Thank you to Joe Robertson, and thank you all for joining us on Geoversive's Earth Intelligence, the podcast. For a deep dive, go to geoversive.net, and all of our podcasts are on earthintel.org. We'll be back next week. Hope to talk to you then. Thank you for joining us. See you.